Here's the thing. Our church is not a building. It's never been a building. We are the church as we live in our communities, on mission together, demonstrating God's love in practical ways everywhere we go. Let's have a future focused on loving God, loving people, and changing the world. As we do that, we believe our families, neighborhoods, and cities will experience Jesus in new ways. This year, we want to be a people focused on living out our purpose for the one and for the world. Here's to our future, together. All right, great to have you all here. I want to welcome those of you joining us online. It is great to have you as well as we kick off this brand new series called Future Focus. As I was thinking about that title, it kind of reminds me of a moment in the past. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was a pretty decent kid, but I, I sometimes was involved in some shenanigans, you know, with, with some of my buddies. I remember one in particular day, we, we all went to this amusement park. There's about 10 of us that, that all went. And we weren't just there one day, we were there multiple days. And so the first day we did all the things that you would imagine we would do. We, we rode all the rides, uh, we played all the games, we ate all the food. It was tons of fun. The second day when we were at the same amusement park, it was kind of the same thing that we had done. And so probably about noon, it kind of felt like the same old, same old. And so when you're a bunch of high school guys hanging out together, you look to do some shenanigans. And so what we decided would be a great idea is that we would find a family that was probably more interested in taking pictures than they were about riding the rides. And so they were taking pictures all over the park and we found this one family that was doing just that. And so our job, we thought, was to get in the background of as many of their photos as we possibly could. Now, young people, you're going to have to hang with me for a moment. Back in the day, you didn't have cameras on your phone. You didn't have digital cameras. You, didn't be, you weren't able to just take the photo and instantly see there's a bunch of hooligans in the backdrop. Uh, instead, there was this stuff called film. And you took it to Walgreens, and a couple days later, they would give you back your pictures. And we thought it was the funniest thing ever that at some point, this family would go develop these photographs, and they'd be like, who are these morons the back of every one of our pictures? We thought it was hilarious. And so we did for probably three or four hours. We followed this family around. We were like making pyramids in the background, all kinds of funny faces, just, just being uh, a, really a bunch of idiots. And, and the further we went along the process, the more bold we got. And so they kept handing their camera off to somebody in order to take the picture. Toward the end of this journey, I was close enough where they asked me to take the picture. I thought, this is perfect. Because my buddies can do whatever they want to do in the backdrop, and I'm the guy behind the camera, and this, this is going to be great. Now, it was a very nice camera. It's one that had a pretty long lens and used the lens in order to, uh, to focus uh, the shot. And so I remember I got the family together. I was positioning them, and I was watching my friends being a bunch of idiots in the backdrop. I'm like, this is going to be great. And then I looked through the camera. I started dialing it, and the more focused I got in the family, the more blurry everything else was. And I realized that when the photographer was focused on the family, they wouldn't capture everything that we've been doing for the last three to four hours. And all these photos that we thought were going to be so funny that we were photobombing, they were going to miss all of it. Because what's interesting is the more you focus your life, the more you allow the shenanigans to kind of go into the backdrop. And I think the same is true when it comes to God's vision for his church, right? We can get distracted by all kinds of different things, but, but God's mission is actually very clear. 
And so as we think about 2023 and even beyond, this next two weeks really is a vision series that we're calling Future Focus. And the whole heart of the series is if we can really dial in the focus of who God is, what God wants from us as a church, it keeps all the other things that would otherwise be distracting. It kind of allows them to kind of fall into the backdrop. And today we're going to really look at what are we supposed to focus on in this next year to become and even beyond. Really, where's the heart of God uh, for us as a church this year? As we think about that, here's what we understand. The vision of the church is always about people. And we don't ever want to miss that. The vision's always about people. It's not just about the church. It's actually about people. And so as we think about people, we're thinking about it really in two ways. And this is what will frame up our series together. We think that this year is a, a year that we want to be known for what we're for. This, this world is all about what they're against, right? And we really think that there's something too. We want this year to be a year that we're known for what we're for. And we're going to define that in two ways. We want to be a church that's for the one, and we want to be a church that's for the world. And so those two things will shape our time together for the next two weeks. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a church that's for the one. Not just a church that's for the one. What does it look like for your life and my life to also be for the one? So if you got a Bible with you, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 5. Or if you'd like to pull it up on your smartphone or tablet, again, I would encourage you to do so through the YouVersion Bible app. You can go to Luke chapter 5 or the words will show up on the screen as well. But in Luke chapter 5, it's one of the earliest interactions that that Jesus has with those who would become his disciples. Here's what we do. Pick it up. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people uh, were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, it's interesting as you hear the setting of where all this takes place, you hear this this term, lake of Gennesaret. It's not a... It's not a place that you hear about a lot in Scripture, at least by this name. Uh, You may know it by its more familiar name. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a place that Jesus did a ton of his ministry was in and around the Sea of Galilee. Actually, 18 of Jesus' 33 miracles were in, on, around the Sea of Galilee. It It was a hub of God's activity. It was a hub of some of God's greatest work, miracles through Jesus, happened in and around this lake. What's interesting about it, too, though, is the Sea of Galilee is, from an elevation perspective, the lowest freshwater lake in the entire world. Isn't it just like God to do some of his greatest work at our lowest places? It's been true in my life. I think it's been true in many of our lives. That many times while we're at our lowest, God is at his best, doing his best work in and through our lives. And that was certainly true at the the Sea of Galilee. Now, as I think about that, how does that play out when it comes to, like, the one? Now, when we think about the one, they're elsewhere in Scripture, kind of a little bit later in Scripture. uh, We read another parable of Jesus that talks about the shepherd willing to leave the 99 sheep behind in order to go after the one. Now, Now, what is about that. It's not like the 99 don't matter. It's just that the one is likely most vulnerable. And the one who is most vulnerable has the priority in the heart of God and the heart of God's people. So who's the one? The one are typically the ones who are struggling the most. It's the one who's lost. It's the one who's broken. It's the one who feels misunderstood. It's the one who feels rejected. It's the one who's experienced abuse. It's the one who's battling addiction. It's the one who just lost a job. It's the one who just lost a loved one. 
Here's the reality of the one. We are either the one or at some point in our journey we have been the one. Because there are moments in all of our lives that we have had moments of vulnerability, moments of great need, moments of great struggle. And it's not that the 99 don't matter. It's just that when we're at our most vulnerable, in God's heart, we are the greatest priority. And again, God does his greatest work many times in our lowest moments, in our lowest spots. It was true to see a Galilee. I think it's true in my life. I would love for it to really identify what 2023 looks like here at Willow Creek. That we're a church for the one. We're the church for the broken, the disenfranchised, those who are struggling to find meaning. We're, we're the church for the one who, who, who has struggled and been pushed aside in every other arena of life, but they can find a sense of hope and healing here. You know, this week I, I sent a note to quite a few people who've called Will a home for a long time, and I said, if we were really a church for the one, what would that mean? I mean, what would that look like? And they sent back some, some incredibly, incredibly powerful responses. Here's what they said. They said, I think it would mean that Will is a church that believes that God is for you and not against you. Somebody else said that I, I think that Willow would be a place that has a low shame culture because we believe there's no healing and hiding. Somebody else said, it would mean that Willow's a place, I love this, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. Somebody said this, they said, uh, Willow would be a place that you, are, you could come as you are, but you don't stay as you are type of church. It, it means that Willow would be a place where the pastor is handsome and freakishly strong. <laughs> I think that one's from my wife. Um, it says that the Willow would be a place that we believe that marriages can be put back together. Will be a place that everyone has a next right step. That will be a place, I love this, where we believe the Bible is true, even the parts that we might struggle with. It says that will be a place ultimately where God can rescue all of us from the things that bind us. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Because that's a church that has a heart for the one, and I think that that heart reflects God's heart. God does some of his greatest work when we're at the lowest. And that was true at the Sea of Galilee. We, 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 we picked that up in the very next verse. Verse 2, it says this. It says, he, meaning Jesus, was at the water's edge. Uh, he saw, <laughs> I'm going to try that again and see if I can read. Okay, here's what it says. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one that was belonging to Simon, and he asked him to, to put it out a little from shore, and then he sat in it, and he taught the people from the boat. And so here's kind of the scene. These, these fishermen, they've been fishing all night long. They're done for the night. They start kind of cleaning up their nets. And here it is. Jesus wants to, he, he doesn't even really ask for permission. He just steps onto a boat that's owned by a guy by the name of Simon. Now, what we find out a little bit later, Simon is the same guy that later becomes known as Peter. Uh, God changes his name. Many times in, in, in Scripture, name changes mean character changes, heart changes. And that was certainly true for Simon, who became Peter. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why did God select Simon to be one of Jesus' earliest disciples? If you know anything about Simon Peter, he was kind of a brash type of guy, very impulsive. Uh, he was very bold in many ways, uh, but he was the guy that acted first and thought about it later, right? Uh, he was a guy that 
you could even say had a streak of violence. He was the guy that, that chopped off the servant's ear when Jesus was being arrested. And so what's interesting about Peter is, is Peter sometimes really gets it right, and sometimes Peter really gets it wrong. Why in the world would God choose him to be one of Jesus' disciples? Some might say, well, it's because of Peter's boldness. Maybe. Some say, well, it's because it's, it's of, of Peter's courage. Maybe. I think at least in this story, it's much simpler than that. The reason that Jesus interacts with Simon is because he had a boat that Jesus wanted to use. Right? We don't have to be overcomplicated about it. He had a boat that Jesus wanted to use. Jesus wanted to teach the people on the shore. He just stepped into Simon's boat, asked Simon to push it out a little bit more. And so it's interesting that the Simon just simply gave that which was his to allow God to use it. Now, if you think about that for a moment, why would Jesus, the one who is able to walk on water, need a boat? I would go as far to say it's less about Jesus needing the boat. It's more about Simon needing to be used by God. It's more about Simon getting invited into partnership with God. It was more about what God wanted to do in Simon's life. Simon needed God's blessing more than Jesus needed his boat. But the blessing was connected to the boat. Here's what's interesting. If we want to be a church that really is for the one, it's not just going to be that, that you attend a church that's for the one. That has to be true in your, own li- in your own life. You have to embrace that vision that my life is for the one. And if you want your life to be full of one, part of what that's going to mean is you offer God your boat. Now, you may not tangibly actually have a boat. If you do, you're welcome to invite me out on it anytime you'd like. But the boat is actually just representative of, of that which is just in my sphere of influence in my life. For Peter, his boat was his livelihood. He was a fisherman by trade. It's just kind of that's what he needed to get his job done. Your boat may look a little bit different. Maybe your boat's connected to the team that you coach. Maybe your boat is connected to the cubicle you sit in at work. Maybe your, your boat's connected to the area of lockers that, that you find at school. Maybe your boat's connected to the, to the sidewalk that meanders through your neighborhood. Because my gut is this, that within those spheres of influence, whether it is on your team, whether that's by the lockers, in your place of work, in your neighborhood, I promise you there is somebody there who is vulnerable, who's broken, who's struggling, who's battling through things, who is priority in the heart of God. The question becomes, are they priority in your heart as well? And are you willing to offer God your boat? God doesn't need your boat as much as you need God's blessing by giving him your boat. In other words, turning over your sphere of influence and allowing God to use you in a powerful way. I want you to think about your spheres of influence and wherever God may have you. And I want you to think about who is it that God has put in my path that maybe he desires to use my life to be the extension of his hands and feet, his love and grace, his mercy in their life. God cares about the one. Is your heart for the one? And so Peter just simply offers Jesus his boat. Look what happens. Look what happens next. He said, when when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out to the deep water and let down the nets for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we've, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. 
but because you say so, I'll let the nets down. And so Jesus had wrapped up needing the boat for teaching purposes. And he's kind of still sitting in the boat. And he said, hey, Simon, why don't you take those nets that you just cleaned, that you were all done with, you're about to go home. Why don't you take those nets and why don't you throw them out in the deep? Now, now Peter, you can almost feel it in his response. He's scratching his head. He's like, uh, Jesus, we've been fishing all night long. We haven't caught a single thing. And in all due respect, I'm the fisherman. You grew up in a carpenter's household. Why don't you stay in your own lane, right? But be very careful to tell God what he can and cannot do. The reason why that's so important is likely as we think about the one that God has in our life, there's this narrative that will, will certainly come up that will think it's not possible that they will ever change. It's not possible that they will ever turn. There's, no, there's not possible that they'll be free from that addiction. Sometimes we explain away the possibility of what God can and wants to do in somebody's life. Don't ever tell God what he can and cannot do. Right? Because God is God and we are not. And so eventually you hear it in Peter's words. He said, but master, just because it's you, because you're the one that's telling me, I'll do what doesn't really make sense to me. And I'll take these nets and I'll throw them out in the deep. Now, here's why that doesn't make sense. If you're a fisherman back in the ancient world, you, you knew, particularly in the Sea of Galilee, at night, the fish were in the shallows. You fished in the shallows at night. Uh, it was in the daytime that you threw it back out to the deep because that's where the fish would go during the day. And so it's still night. Jesus is telling him to put his nets down where the fish aren't at. The fish are in the shallows. Jesus says, go throw it in the deep. And so Peter's like, if you say so. This doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I'm going to do it because you told me to. And he goes and throws his nets in the deep and watch what happens. It said when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and to help them. And they, they came, they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I mean, it's an unbelievable moment. And it's kind of a reminder about faith that that's what faith is. It's throwing your nets out in the deep even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't know the results. And so Peter does just that. He throws his nets into the deep. And the most miraculous thing happens. It's a once-in-a-lifetime type of catch. There are so many fish filling the nets. It's breaking the nets. They had to call in some reinforcements. This network of boats begins to come, and it's such a large haul, it fills both boats with fish. Now, what's fascinating about that is, as fishermen in the ancient world, this was such a miraculous catch, this would have been transformative in their business. This is a financial windfall. This is like, this, this transforms your entire business. And so what do you do when you experience a miraculous catch that would change your financial future forever? You get your wife, you go to the Mag Mile, let's do some shopping. That's not what happens. Here's what it says next. Here is Simon Peter's response. It says, when, when, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What's at the heartbeat of that? What he acknowledged is he lacked faith in what God was telling him to do. And when he just simply did what God was telling him to do, he was blessed beyond his wildest measure. God didn't need his boat. Peter needed God's blessing. And so the question for you and I is, will we offer, God's, will we offer God our boat? But secondly, 
Will we be people who are willing to, to journey to the deep end with God? Uh, take a journey to the deep end. Notice where they threw their nets. They, they threw their nets to the deep end. But again, I would say God was not as interested in fish as he was in faith. But what God was trying to do is actually instill faith in, in Peter's heart, in Peter's life. That's actually what mattered most. Now notice, again, they threw their nets to the deep end. Now I think about the word deep, and sometimes around church environments, every now and then around here you'll hear people say something like, man, I just wish we had more deeper teaching around here. Anybody, anybody ever heard somebody say that? Just wish we had some more deeper teaching. Somebody's like, I've never heard somebody say it, but I've said it, Sean, right? And so, you know, sometimes we, 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 we kind of hear that type of, of thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with that per se. Uh, I would also be an advocate that we need to have strong biblical teaching that really helps equip God's people in meaningful ways. But here's the challenge. We can never experience depth in our faith with that alone. And great biblical weekend preaching will never replace somebody walking intimately in partnership with God. Where's depth found? Depth is found in walking intimately in partnership with God. Preaching is just a mechanism to point you to where depth actually happens. It's one thing to know things and to learn things. It's another thing to jump in the game and experience them. It changes everything. I mean, I can learn everything that there's ever to learn about forgiveness. But depth will come in my faith journey when I partner with God and I forgive people for unthinkable types of things. That's where the depth of faith happens. I can talk all day long about generosity and parse out the Greek words and all that it means, you know, when it comes to generosity. But my life is changed when I partner with God and respond in transformational ways in order to give, sometimes even till it hurts. I can learn all the time about God's heart for people and God's heart for broken people or lost people or whatever the situation may be. But my life becomes changed when I partner with God and become his hands and his feet in extension of his love and grace in the lives of people. There's nothing wrong with deep teaching. It just can never replace actually walking intimately in partnership with God. That's where spiritual depth happens. Journey to the deep with God. If you think about the story in Luke chapter 5, there's really two different kinds of people, two different types of people. I would call them the crowd and the crew. Uh, there was a crowd who, who, who were on the shoreline. They, they heard Jesus teach. They were the recipient of Jesus' message. It was great. Great to be a part of the crowd. But wouldn't you kind of want to be a part of the crew? Like on one of those boats, actually pulling up the fish, experiencing all that that moment would have been. All of those people got to witness the same thing. But I promise you, they had a very different experience. The crowd gets to receive the message. But the crew gets to share the message. They get to experience it. And I think that the same thing that's true in Luke chapter 5 is also true in every church environment, every church community. There are people who I would say are in the crowd. They're more spectators, observers. They, they, they witness all the things that are going on. But there are those who roll up their sleeves. They get their hands dirty. They jump in. They're a part of the experience. I promise. Those who are closer to the experience, who are fully engaged in the mission, who are truly partnered with God, they're the ones who will see the greater blessing. Because their lives are changed by what God invites them into that they get to participate in. So give God your boat. Journey with him to the deep end. 
Look how this story continues. It says this, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. I mean, kind of a moment, right? This was the, the, the starting grid, the, the, the beginning point for Peter. Everything changed from this point forward for him where he responded to Jesus' invitation to allow his life to be about the mission of Jesus. Changed everything. In many ways, I could say it this way. It's about joining Jesus in his mission. We offer our boat, we journey to the deep end, but, but truly we, we join Jesus in his mission. Here's what I believe. I believe in a God who's already at work. It's not like I'm going to go work and I'm going to ask God to do what I'm doing. God is already at work. And if I'm perceptive enough to where God's working, I join God in what he's already doing. And the invitation he gives us to join him in that journey is the greatest grace that he allows us to be participants because the blessing that we get to experience that's tied to it. Join Jesus in his mission. Now, as we think about that as, as it relates to the one, sometimes that can be a really intimidating thing to consider. Again, because we think about the team we coach, we think about the cubicle we sit in, we think about the, the sidewalk that meanders throughout all of our neighbors in our neighborhood, we think about you know, the locker area, we think about those in our sphere of influence who might be struggling, somewhat broken, somewhat vulnerable, that God might be calling us to. Sometimes it's really, really difficult to extend an invite, to, to share our faith in some way. That's a, that's a really intimidating thing to consider. And though I understand that, let me... Let me help frame it in this way. Imagine tragedy struck you, like in a surprising, unthinkable way. And let's just say that, that you were diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And, and by true circumstance, there was another person in your life that was diagnosed with the exact same form of rare cancer. At the time, there really weren't uh, any treatments that they knew that would, would help bring a cure but there was, a, there was a trial that you got invited into, a clinical trial. And you said yes to the trial, and, and, and you started the treatment that was a part of this trial. And sure enough, this trial was everything that you would hope that it would be. And not only was, was your cancer, you know, uh, uh, eradicated from your body, you, you were sent into remission. Like, you were declared cancer-free. Now, imagine that moment and that experience, this unbelievable grace that you got to experience wouldn't you want to share that with somebody else you knew who was experiencing the same thing? I mean, wouldn't you want them to know about the life-saving treatment that you just experienced? My, my guess is you probably couldn't help yourself to tell them about what you've experienced because your life has been radically changed and transformed, and you would hope that maybe it might have the same impact, it might have the same difference-making ability in their life as well, even if they were a little resistance out of the gate. You might even be somewhat persistent because you cared so much about them and you want to connect their life to this ultimate cure. And as great as a cure for cancer is, it certainly would be amazing. How much greater is our eternal cure for sin that God brought to us in Jesus? And the truth is, my life has been saved, been saved by the grace of God. My life has been transformed by the love and the grace of God. And the truth is, I just want people to experience the joy, the hope, the love, the grace that God's, God shared with me in my life. And I don't share it out of obligation. 
We share it out of opportunity that they may be able to experience what we've experienced. It's all about living a life for the one. The truth is sometimes when it comes to the needs around us, I can get so overwhelmed because there's so many needs. But I would encourage you in this way. Uh, don't get so overwhelmed by so many needs that, that, that it's almost paralyzing to where you can't do anything. The way Andy Stanley puts it is this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, and that in itself will be life-changing. And so over this next year, as we think about 2023 and dialing it into focus, as we think about what it looks like for us as a church to be for the one, there's a couple of really practical ways we're thinking about living out this vision in the coming year. Uh, The one is we would love to reignite what we're describing as an invite culture. Uh, I think for many years, decades around here at Willow, this was such a part of who we were as a church, being a really strong invite culture. And it's deep within us. It's a part of our DNA. And part of what we want to do in 2023 is really rekindle what God has placed in us for so many years. And allow us to be a church that truly is for the one. And we're truly a church that's willing to invite people into this experience. Now, let me be really clear. The ultimate goal is not just inviting somebody to church. The ultimate goal is inviting people into relationship with Jesus. That's actually what matters most. Now, many times the church can be a vehicle to help connect people into relationship with Jesus. And so we invite people to church in order to get them connected to Jesus. But it's really important for us to understand that the end goal is not us. The end goal is him. And I don't ever want to get that confused. The end goal is always, always, always about him. And so as we think about, like, what does it look like to have a strong invite culture? We're going to try a few things. Uh, We're going to choose key strategic weekends all throughout the year in 2023 that would be a really easy invite to somebody in your life. Uh, Sometimes because the topic that we're talking about would be really accessible to somebody who's not yet a part of the church community. Or sometimes because we're going to create some experiences right around the weekend services that people can go and and it will really help foster relationships, community, and those types of things. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a little bit of fun along the way. Uh, We're going to create some video trailers that you can share on social media about upcoming series and things that that, that we're doing. Uh, The first one we're going to highlight is on February the 5th. Uh, it's going to be a series on wisdom. It's going to be a fantastic you know, topic. Uh, we're going to do some stuff post-service. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's the week before the Super Bowl, precursor to the Super Bowl. There's going to be a lot of fun to be had. It's going to be an easy invite weekend. You're going to hear a lot more about it in the coming weeks. In addition to really continuing to stoke the fire around an invite culture, the second piece for us is this, is that we want to create what we're calling irresistible environments. Now, part of the way you create irresistible environments is you have a very hospitable environment, very warm, welcoming, loving type of a place that no matter who walks through the door, who steps part in the community, people feel embraced. People find a sense of belonging. That really matters. But here's the truth. That doesn't just happen because of the staff, nor does it just happen because of the volunteers. That happens because every single person who calls this community home is willing to welcome in others who are not yet home. I remember a moment when I attended a church for the very first time, brand new. I was there by myself. And I remember walking in and I I took a seat. I hadn't talked to anybody at the moment. And this guy kind of came out of nowhere and he came up to me. He introduced himself to me. He welcomed me to the church. And uh, he he asked a little bit about me and then he just said, hey, 
I'm just here to, uh, to, for anything you need. I'm happy to serve you in any way that I can. And then he actually asked if he could sit with me, sit with me in the whole service. It was such an act of, of grace. This guy was not on staff. He was not a volunteer. He was just somebody who cared. It made all the difference in the world. You play a role in helping us as a church create these irresistible, hospitable environments. Would you commit to do that every single time that you come here on a weekend? Make this a welcoming place for people to belong into. But the second piece of irresistible environments is an irresistible environment has to be full of what I would say the presence of God. There's no environment that's irresistible without the Holy Spirit of God being actively a part of that environment, right? Is that right? All right, you're with me. Okay. The Holy Spirit being actively a part of that environment matters everything. And so for that reason, I want to invite you into a 21-day prayer experience that we're going to launch at the end of this series. We're going to launch it a, a week from tomorrow. It's a 21-day prayer experience that we're going to pray about all these different things that God has on our hearts for this coming year. And I would love for every single person to be a part of this prayer experience. And so I would invite you literally right now, you could take out your phone. If you're joining us online, go ahead and take out your phone. And you can just simply text the word pray to this number on the screen. Now what will happen is for 21 days, starting on January the 16th, you'll get a prayer prompt once a day in the morning that will just kind of give you the opportunity to pray, be prayerful and mindful about what God wants to do in the coming year. Again, I would love every single person to say yes to praying with us, be praying for us, to be praying that God would be actively at work in and through our lives because we are nothing without God's movement. It is not about us. It's about him. So I'd love to invite you to be a part of that. Again, church, we got dreams. We're dreaming big dreams for 2023 and beyond. But at the heart of it, it's about what we're for. We are for the one. Next week, we'll talk about what it means to be for the world. So offer God your boat, journey to the deep end, commit to follow Jesus in his mission. Uh, you know, I can't help but think, you know, in, in all of our time together, that maybe for some of us, we listen to today's message and you think to ourselves, I am the one. Like, I'm the one that feels vulnerable. I'm the one that experienced loss. I'm the one that's wrestling through betrayal. I'm the one that has a deep need in the moment. And if that's you, I can't tell you how glad I am that you're here. Thanks for taking a risk with us. Thanks for taking a risk maybe on us. You matter to God. You matter to us. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to sing one last song together as a church. There will be some members of our prayer team that are right down front. If we can serve you in any way, we have a team of people just ready to receive you. We'd love to talk to you, pray for you, find out how we can best serve you as a church. So I would invite you, uh, if that would serve you in any way, I would invite you literally just to come to the front of the song and you can do that. Uh, for the rest of us, I would invite you to stand to your feet. Would you join us as we sing this one last song together? Let's be a church. It's for the one.